Discover how to take your place today on Bold Steps with Mark Job. I believe that at some times in our life, we have a lot, but don't know how much we have. Sometimes we live like paupers when in reality, we're children of the Most High King. Welcome to Bold Steps with Mark Job. Mark is president of Moody Bible Institute and the senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. And I'm excited today because we are starting a new series based on the book of Ephesians. And Mark, you're going to outline some important and practical steps we need to take if we want to maximize sharing our faith. That's right, Wayne. And again, let me just say how excited I am to jump in the book of Ephesians Mm -hmm. with you. You are going to be thrilled because this is a powerful, powerful book. And really at the core, Paul starts out by telling us, hey, so many of us don't understand who we really are. So we need to take our place because we're living, as you'll see from this message, we're living sometimes in poverty when really we're rich. And I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about spiritually. Mm -hmm. We get it. Let's turn to Ephesians now and get started. Our message series, When You Believe, Everything Changes. Here's Mark Job. Oftentimes, you are much richer. You have much more than what you know you have, but oftentimes, we don't know how to access what we already have. I heard of a story a little while back of a woman by the name of Hetty Green. Hetty Green was known as America's greatest miser. She ate cold oatmeal because it cost too much to heat it up. Her son had to have his leg amputated because she wanted, she waited too long for medical attention while she was looking for a free clinic. She even died from a ruptured blood vessel in her brain while arguing about the benefits of skin milk. Was she crazy? Maybe. Eccentric? Without a doubt. But one thing was for sure, she wasn't poor. When Hetty Green died, she left an estate that was valued at over $100 million. You mean, here's a woman that doesn't want to heat her oatmeal because she wants to conserve, yet she's got a hundred million dollars. She's living like a pauper when in reality she has the ability to live like a queen. I believe oftentimes I run into believers that way, believers in Jesus Christ, that have the capacity to live at a level much higher than what they're living at, But because they're not sure how to access what they have, they live almost like paupers. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, there's a couple of things I want to tell you about before we jump into actually uh, reading this passage. I want you to understand a little bit about Ephesians and um, I want you to understand a little bit of why it was written and how it was written. Have you noticed that, well, first of all, Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. 
If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul is the author of the book of Ephesians. But was Paul one of the 12 apostles? It's a trick question. Many people think that Paul was actually one of the 12 apostles, but he was not. Paul was not one of the 12 disciples that walked with Jesus that we normally consider an apostle. Paul was actually anti-Christian, a persecutor of the church. He hated followers of, of Jesus. In fact, it was the apostle Paul who, before he became known as the apostle Paul, was known as Saul. It was the apostle Paul that gave the, gave the orders to approve the first martyr of the Christian church, who was Stephen. And they stoned him, and Paul was there encouraging them to stone him. He hated Christians so much that he was on a mission to eliminate and imprison as many Christians as he could. And he took a trip on the way to Damascus to look for Christians in a town called Damascus. And as he was on his way, he had an encounter that would radically change his destiny in his life. Sometimes Jesus will do that to you. And on his road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus that threw him off his horse. He heard the voice of Jesus saying, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And after this encounter with Jesus, he was left blind, stunned, confused. He went to the town of Damascus and a believer prayed over him and explained the ways of God and he was so utterly converted that from that day on, he began to preach the gospel just as fervently as he had opposed the gospel of Jesus. Oh, I don't know. I'm assuming that there are some of you in this auditorium that at one time were very anti-Christian. Were some of you? Anybody remember the day that you'd cuss Christians out? Get that Bible away, get that blankety-blank Bible away from me? Huh? You can admit it. And then finally when you came to Christ, just as strong as you were against, you became pro what Jesus has done in your life. And so it was the Apostle Paul that is writing this letter to Ephesians. Now, where did we get the title Ephesians? Well, basically a lot of the books of the Bible are named after the cities that the letter was written to. For example, the city of Thessalonica is where the Thessalonians lived, and so we have the book in the New Testament called Thessalonians. Colossae is a city where the Colossians lived, and so we have a book in the Bible called Colossians. Philippi was where the Philippians lived, and we have a book in the Bible called Philippians because it was written towards the Philippians. If Paul were to write a letter to Chicago, the church in Chicago, then the letter would be called Chicagoans. And we would turn to the letter called Chicagoans, 
and it would be the letter that was written to the church that lives in Chicago. So Ephesus was a city. I've been to Ephesus. The ancient town of Ephesus is currently located in Turkey. Uh, in those days, it was called Asia Minor. And uh, Ephesus is where the Ephesians lived. And so Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians. And the first time that Paul ever visited Ephesus is chronicled in Acts chapter 18. He went to Ephesus with a couple, a ministry couple called Priscilla and Aquila. And he went to this city, a big metropolitan city, and he began to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ there. Paul had to move on to Jerusalem, and so he left Aquila and Priscilla to talk to people about Jesus. While they were talking to people about Jesus, and by the way, can I just interject here? There's something very powerful about ministering together as a couple. You see me here up front on a regular basis because I'm the teacher-preacher. But I want you to know that since day one, since the very first day that I came to this church, my wife, Dee, has been as involved in ministry as I have. Don't ask her to teach. Don't ask her to preach because she doesn't like to do that. But she has been as involved, as or more committed than I have been from day one, and we've been here almost 25 years. And there's something really powerful to minister as a couple. And she's actually sitting right here. Usually she's in Sunday school. Good to see you, hon. In fact, I remember when I was dating my wife. Uh, she wasn't my wife when I was dating her. But when I uh, started dating, um, we were actually leading a Bible study. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know if a relationship is going to be a distraction or if it's going to really help me out. And I remember we were, uh, I was leading a Bible study by uh, 71st and Springfield near Marquette Park. And I was still in college at the time and leading this Bible study. And uh, D uh, started coming to that Bible study. And I realized that she had this way with working with other women and, and being involved and calling and ministering. And it's the first time the light came on in my head and said, I thought to myself, you know what? We make one dynamic team. I like this. I like this. I tell people that are in ministry or trying to do something for God, there is no neutral, there's no neutral spouse. A spouse can either be a hindrance and liability or incredible asset in whatever you're pursuing. And when two people come together with one vision and decide in a united way to say we're going to do something for God, watch out because incredible things can happen. But I've seen people in ministry spiral downward because one person feels called to ministry and the other person doesn't like it or doesn't want it. And I've seen those places tank. And so I believe there's something really powerful about ministering together as a couple. Well, this couple, Achilla and Priscilla, were ministering together in, in, the, in the town of Ephesus. 
And as they were telling people about Jesus in Ephesus, another fellow by the name of Apollos came. And Apollos was a very good speaker and order and knew about the things of God. And he began to attract a big crowd. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard of what he was doing, they met up with Apollos and they realized that although Apollos was very good at speaking, he only had half the message. Because Apollos had been converted under John the baptizer, but he had never been under the instructions of Jesus. And so when Paul came back to Ephesus, he found himself with a group of believers and he began to talk to this group of believers and he asked them about the Holy Spirit and they said, we don't even know there is a Holy Spirit because they had not been taught the full gospel. And it was at that time that the Apostle Paul prayed over them, put hands on them and asked that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. At that time, incredible things began to happen in the town of Ephesus. The Bible tells us that so many people began to come to Christ and get saved and give their life to God. Many of them were involved in witchcraft and sorcery. And when they came to Christ, they repented of their witchcraft, their sorcery, their occult practices. They brought their books, their paraphernalia, their... Uh, uh, the, their scripts and everything they used in their sorcery and created these big mounds of things that they were getting rid of and they had a huge bonfire to burn all of the uh, pagan elements that they used to worship and follow. Here's the thing I want you to remember. You cannot have a conversion experience and choose to follow Christ without leaving certain things behind. listening to Bold Steps, a message from Mark Job titled, Take Your Place. We'll continue his message in a moment. And remember, you can always catch up on these lessons anytime by going to our website, boldstepsradio.org. Mark, let's talk for a moment about our Spanish language ministry for Bold Steps. Yeah, we have a one-minute encouragement called Bold Steps in Spanish called Pasos Audaces. Many of you know that I grew up in Spain, have a real heart for the Spanish community. By the way, April 20th, which is a Saturday, we're having a Spanish men's conference here oh. on the campus of the Moody Bible Institute. Okay, you're looking ahead, aren't you? <laughs> for our second year in a row. So cool. uh, put that on your calendar, men, if you speak Spanish and plan on being there. But our heart is to communicate the gospel in every language. And uh, here in the U.S. and in many other parts of the world, there's many people that speak Spanish. And so we would love for you to spread the word about Pasos Audaces, and you can really access that by going directly to pasosaudaces.org and go directly to the link in Spanish. It's much better when you pronounce that instead of me here, Mark, so thank you for doing that. Venga, hermano Wayne Shepherd. <laughs> thank you. Let's return to Mark's message now. When you believe, everything changes. When God gets a hold of someone, you don't stay the same. You start getting rid of things, shedding things. I think all of us need a bonfire in our life. Hello. Hey, you come to Christ, men. 
There may need to be a bonfire while you pull out those Playboy magazines and other such things and get rid of it because what you start realizing is that this is incompatible with my new life in Christ. You cannot add Christ to your life and continue with all the old stuff. There are certain things that when Christ comes in, you leave behind. That, that's called conversion. And they had this huge bonfire experience and God began to work in such miraculous ways that it was at this time that the Bible tells us that even the handkerchief that came from Paul and touched people was healing people from physical diseases such as the anointing and the power of God upon Ephesus at that time. There are times when God works in some miraculous, powerful ways, supernatural that we cannot explain when God is seeking to do something. It was also at that time that there was a major riot because any time the church progresses, there will always be opposition. Count on it. When God begins to do something, there will always be opposition to what God is seeking to do. This time the opposition came via the unions of the city of Ephesus. Making idols... And pagan gods was a big business in the days of Ephesus. There were hundreds of gods that existed. There was the god of fertility, and there was the god of vengeance. There was the god of the shoemakers and the god of the sailors. There was the god of the farmers and the god of the uh, of multitude of things of gods. And every person, if you went into their house in those days in Ephesus, everybody would have their little statues, the gods that they would pray to. And they were sort of their sponsoring gods, so to speak. And if you walk down the streets of Ephesus, there were statues of different gods that would line the streets of Ephesus. And, and the tradesmen made much of their money by building these statues out of wood and, and out of uh, rock and out of iron and they would build these statues and it was a big money business and people would buy their statues and dedicate their statues. When people started coming to Christ, the union trades workers began to realize Christianity has no God statues. They have an invisible God that they worship. An invisible God that they worship that claims that he rules heaven and earth. And they began to realize that if Christianity spreads, we will lose our business. No one will buy statues anymore. We'll lose tens of thousands of dollars and go out of business. So they organized a riot. How many of you know that sometimes the opposition of Christianity is not just on religious views, sometimes it can be political, racist, and economic? Hello? Don't be naive into thinking that opposition will just come out of spiritual opposition. When we went to buy this church building here that you're in right now, this was a factory. 84,000 square foot factory. And we decided that we were going to buy this building and convert this building into a church-ministry center. And we're super excited about it. 
We were challenged by raising the money for this because it's a lot of money. It was $2 million to buy this building. $2 million. Thank you, Jesus. That was a lot of money. That's a whole other story how God provided that and how people sacrificed. But when we went to get this building, uh, the building in Chicago, you have to zone a building for something. This building was zoned for manufacturing, for what factories are zoned for. And we needed to zone it for a church use. And in order to zone it for a church use, you have to get approval downtown at City Hall. And in order to get approval downtown at City Hall, you have to go through the alderman's office here. And in this case, to go through the alderman's office here, he had a zoning board that we had to come before, and the zoning board had to approve it in order to change the status so that we could get a church here. And I thought, no problem. No big deal. They're going to love us because we do a lot of good for the community. We'll help out. We'll bless. We'll open up the doors, and we will do anything that we can to help the community. And when we went down to try to get the zoning, most of the people on the zoning board were favorable, happy for us, but there was a few people that were belligerently opposed to us starting a church here. Aggressively opposed. Like door to door, say no, oppose it, get against it. And I didn't understand why. They said it would be parking congestion, and they said it would be hard. But when it all came down to it, what I heard behind the doors is there was two issues with us having a church here. Number one, number one, there were too many Hispanics. Straight out, blatant bigotry. Sometimes that's how the devil opposes things. It's not always theological. Sometimes it's blatant prejudice and bigotry. And number two, it was religious. We were an evangelical church. I want you to understand that, that sometimes opposition will arise on a lot of different ways to the progress and spread of the gospel. It doesn't always come just out of uh, theological persecution. It can rise up out of economic and racial bigotry uh, that, that, that rises up to try to put the stop to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, in this case, it was economic. Well, we're just getting started with our message from Mark Job called Take Your Place here on Bold Steps. Make plans to join us for part two tomorrow. And you can learn more about Mark and this ministry when you visit us at boldstepsradio.org. On our website, we also encourage you to get connected with us and share your story. We love hearing how these lessons have been applied and the impact God is making through bold, faithful teaching. Just click on the tab that says Be Bold Stories and share yours with our growing community. Or click the tab that says Contact and find more ways of reaching us at boldstepsradio.org. Now, Mark, I don't think it's any secret that we're living in a post-Christian world and standing up for our faith and sharing it, even just talking about our faith, can get us into trouble. How do we navigate this harsh landscape? It can at a personal level, sometimes even at a legal level. There was just uh, recently 
a lawsuit about being able to share your faith downtown Chicago Hmm. that fortunately was won, but people have become much more antagonistic about us sharing our faith. And oftentimes what we believe in is in stark contrast with what the culture believes in. So there is a place and a need for believers to say, I will not be ashamed. I will not be quiet. I will lovingly, graciously, but boldly stand for what I believe. Well, Mark, that's exactly why this month's Bold Step gift is so timely. It's a book by our friend Alistair Begg titled Brave by Faith. And Alistair uses the encouraging example of Daniel to help us find the right way to stand boldly for Christ in this post-Christian era. So if you're listening today, and if you would like to start making an impact in today's faithless culture, then let us send you a copy of Brave by Faith. It's yours when you give a gift of any amount to support Bold Steps. Just go online to boldstepsradio.org to make that donation or send your financial gift in the mail, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. If it's easier or more convenient, you can give and request the book by calling 844-615-7363 or give online at boldstepsradio.org. And then before we close out our time today, let me remind you that we'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. You can like or follow us on your favorite social media platforms. You'll find us listed on Facebook and Instagram as Bold Steps Radio. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and take these messages with you wherever you go. We're listed on most podcast apps as Bold Steps with Dr. Mark Jones. I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to come back tomorrow when Mark continues the series called When You Believe, Everything Changes. That's coming up Thursday on Bold Steps with Mark Jones. Bold Steps is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.